I know you do. Thank you very much for that. Thank you for praying for us last week. We were enjoying on Saturday night a wedding of our niece in the Philadelphia area. And uh, I was thought I should take some pictures and bring you a postcard for Philadelphia. But I didn't take any pictures. Uh, but as Pastor Eric told you last week, if you'd like to come up to my phone and see the pictures of the wall I, I caught two weeks ago, uh, we've got to show those to you. Uh, you know, you gotta, I take the important pictures of the important things, I guess. <laughs> but uh, we've been following, and next week we'll be ending our series here on Postcards from Paul. But today we are going to continue on his third missionary journey. In fact, we have the map up here of his third journey, the, the solid line st- starting going out. So he's starting in Antioch, uh, Syria there and he's going out and he's this is really a pastoral trip he is revisiting most of the works that he'd done before and going back and strengthening those churches and so he's going back and you see him head out and he goes across up again into Macedonia and then he comes all the way down in in the lower part of Greece to Athens and then to Corinth and then he he said he heads on back and going back home is the dotted line and so you see him head up and you see all the way up at the top there he gets to Philippi We're told in Acts chapter 20, which we're in today, that when he arrived at Philippi and he was there, it was actually the Feast of the Unleavened Bread or the Passover. So Paul didn't make it back to Jerusalem for Passover this year. He celebrated Passover in Philippi. He starts heading. He takes the boat across to Troas. He walks down to Assos and then he takes the boat again. And if you see there, he ends up in a city called Miletus. And today, uh, Paul is bringing us greetings from Miletus. Now, as we read Acts chapter 20, we really don't read a lot of things happening in his ministry in Miletus. One reason is he's only here a couple days, three, four, five days, a very short period, probably long enough for the boat to unload and reload. And so he's, he doesn't have a lot of time. So we don't read about him in the synagogues. We don't read him um, reasoning and, and with Jews and, and preaching to the Gentiles, anything like that. Uh, we see him, though, um, meeting some people, which we'll get to. But first thing he might have done is got off the boat and seen some of the sights. And some of the sights, again, we have some of the ruins. Here is the theater in town that this is not the full thing. When it was fully constructed, it held up to 20,000 people, but it was a theater. This is the front, uh, most famous picture maybe from Miletus. It is the front of the uh, bass, the public bass. You would go to the public bass there. And the next picture is the bass of Festina or Festina bass. Festina was the bride of the emperor Marcus Aurelius, 148, 150 BC, somewhere around there. These were built. And this picture here is the actual harbor. Now, it doesn't look like a harbor. Well, that's what happened to Miletus. Uh, Miletus was a thriving city. In fact, years and years, centuries before, it was maybe the most important city in the Greek Empire on the eastern end of the Greek Empire. It was important. It was a port city. But uh, over years, the waters receded and the silt from the river filled in. And so that's what's left of the harbor. Those are ruins actually around the, the harbor there in Miletus. So as the as the silt filled in and as it became swampy, that brought mosquitoes and other insects, brought disease, and actually, uh, it, it, eventually, the city basically was abandoned. 
And so these ruins right now are out in the country. You can drive to them and nothing really around it, but you can go and enjoy these ruins and where Paul might have been. But we don't find stories of buildings, do we? In, in writing, writings of Paul and the writings of Luke, he doesn't say, wow, that building I saw was really cool. That, 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 that theater was really something. The stories and the things we experience are stories of people. Paul's heart was with people. A missionary's heart is with people. A pastor's heart is with the people. Oh, a building's nice. Programs are cool. But it's the people that make the ministry. And so Paul, we read through as we read in the first part of that chapter 20 of Acts, he starts naming some of the people that are traveling with him from what church they came from and, and where they were heading. We read, as we've talked about before in Romans, he lists all the people that ministered with him. And he probably reflects back of the lives that have been touched and changed. That's Paul. And so here he is in Miletus with just a few days. And we find out really this stop in Miletus was pretty strategic. Because if we look at the map again, we see Miletus there is just about 50 miles south of Ephesus. Pastor Eric talked to you last week about his, Paul's work in Ephesus. We're told in this passage that he was there a total of about three years, invested tremendously in these people. But we're also told in the scriptures here in Acts chapter 20 that Paul was in a hurry. He wanted to get to Jerusalem by Pentecost. Pentecost is 50 days after the Passover, which he celebrated up in Philippi. So he's got to get trucking. And the last thing he wanted to do, or could do, was to spend a lot of time with a lot of friends in Ephesus. I mean, you've ministered to someone there three years. You walk into town, you've got to visit everybody, right? <laughs> everybody wants to bend your ear. And, and he would have loved to have been there, but he was in a hurry. So he went to Miletus. And what he did then was send a message to the Ephesus church, the church in Ephesus, and said, send me your elders. Send me your elders. And that's exactly what happened. And so we see in this passage that we're going to look at this morning, Paul addressing the elders of the church in Ephesus. The only speech we have of Paul, major speech to Christians. All of his other speeches are to unsaved. We have letters, but no speeches. And so this morning, we see this poignant letter or, or message sitting down with these elders. He says that he said, come, be with me. I only got a couple days. And he starts sharing his heart. And he starts the message by, to them by kind of defending his faith, or defending his ministry, and of telling them that I've been an example to you. Go and follow my example. Do like this. But then he's about halfway through. He comes, and we're going to pick that up in our scripture this morning. Acts chapter 20, verse 25. He says this. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Talk about a bombshell. Paul's coming down. I'm, I can imagine, what's he going to tell us? What's he going to tell us? And his words here and his message is, none of you are ever going to see me again. 
I uh, was thinking as I was reading that about our messages before Easter and Jesus during the Last Supper, calling his disciples together and saying, hey, this is it. I'm going away. It's a kind of a very similar feeling. He spent three years with these folks, just like Jesus had spent with his disciples. And he says, you're never going to see me again. He says this, but I'll tell you what. I am innocent of the blood of any of you. You say, what, what does that mean? Well, you might remember a couple chapters earlier when he was in Corinth and the Jews were, were creating a ruckus and were getting ready to kick him out and he took off his coat and threw his coat down and said, your blood is on your heads, not mine. I preached, you didn't respond. Paul probably is thinking back even to the book of Ezekiel and the prophet Ezekiel. In chapter 33 of Ezekiel, take time to read it later today or this week. There's, there's an interesting story. Ezekiel, the prophet of God to his people, gets a message from God. And he says this. He says, Ezekiel, you know that when I send an invading army into the land, that the people in the land appoint a watchman. And he said, it's the watchman's job to keep an eye to see if that invading army is coming. And when it comes, it's the watchman's job to go and to warn the people. And basically, he says the people have two ways they can respond. They can listen to him and save their lives. Or they can reject the message of the watchman. And then the blood is on their heads. They're responsible because they did not listen. But then he says this to Jeremiah. In that verse, chapter 33, says, Son of man, I have made you watchmen over the house of Israel. So hear the word I speak and give them this warning. When I say to the wicked, a wicked man, you will surely die. And you do not speak out to dissuade him from his ways. That wicked man will die for his sin. And I will hold you accountable for his blood. Ezekiel, the blood's on your head. Paul, a messenger of God to the Gentiles, knew this call was a call to preach the gospel and, a, and for these wicked men to repent, just like Ezekiel. Most pastors feel the same way. <laughs> oh, God calls to pastor. But there's a message to be shared. And that message is a message that weighs heavily. And it's a message that I, I, I feel this morning, if, if I didn't preach, <laughs> your blood could be on my head. We all have to hear the good news and the bad news. And, and the good news is Jesus Christ came, but the bad news is that we are sinners needing a Savior. And he says, I have not hesitated. I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. So this morning, I guess, you know, that whole will of God, what does that mean? That will is a Greek word, boule. And it's, it's, 
I guess really it's kind of hard to pin down exactly what it means because even some of the Bible translators can't agree to what it means. I have on the, on the board here, on the screen here, some of the words that the, the, the Bible uses, various versions of the Bible. The NIV, which we've been reading from, reading from, says, the will of God I've preached to you. The NRSV and NASB, different versions, say it's the whole purpose of God. The CSB says it's the whole plan of God. Acts ESV and KJV, the King James Version, says the whole counsel of God. It's, it's, it's the advice of God. What God wants you to know. I think maybe the most important thing, though, there is maybe not those words. We can, we can pick the one we like the best or understand, but they're all either whole or all. He said, I've given it everything to you. I've given it all. I haven't withheld anything. In fact, the new modern translation, the, the NLT, says it this way. It says, all that God wants you to know, I've shared. All that God wants you to know. And so this morning, what is it that God wants us to know? What is it that God wanted them to know? Um, well, Paul had three years, and I've got 11 more minutes. So we'll, uh, we'll see. But, but I think it's summarized pretty well. It's summarized pretty well right in this passage. I said we're going to jump around. Let's go back before in verse 20. He says this, You know I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I've declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. He says right here, This has not been something I've kept to myself. I've declared it publicly. Everybody can hear it. I've declared it privately. I've gone to your homes and I've shared this. It's a message that I had to share. And verse 21, I think, tells us the three things that he wants us to know today. And, and he said this is kind of summarizes it all. The first thing is he says, I have declared to both Jews and Greek. The Greek there is not just Greeks. It is Greek Jews and non-Jews. I've declared to everybody. In fact, when he wrote to the church in Corinthians or in Galatians, in Galatians 3:26, he says, "We are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. There is no Jew or Gentile. There is no there's, there's no free or slave. There is no male or female. When it comes to salvation, we all have access. This is for everybody." He says, "I've said it to everybody." So, first of all, I want you to know, folks, I don't your blood's not on my hand because I've told you all. <laughs> I've gone to everybody that God has asked me to go to. And I've given you a message, and the message is this, the next point that he makes in that verse 21 is they must turn to God in repentance. That was the message that Paul preached. He says, "We must turn to God in repentance." That was the same message that Ezekiel was asked to preach. If they said, go to them wicked men and tell them they got to change their ways. That's the warning. You're the watchman. You tell them that. And if they don't, they will be destroyed. And Paul is coming and he's saying the same message. Wicked folks, we need to repent. Now, some people think repent is to change what you're doing. Quit doing that and doing something else. Not quite. Actually, the biblical definition of repentance is a change of mind. We have to change our mind first. 
repent. You can repent here today, but you haven't had time to change your actions. It's going to take you all week, all month, all year to change your actions and to demonstrate that it's changed. But we can repent today because it's a change of our mind. We, in fact, one definition of, of I, I read of repentance is it's a heartfelt sorrow for sin, a renouncing of it, and a sincere commitment to forsake it and to walk in obedience with Christ. But that's something we do in our minds. We change our minds. We say, I used to look at my sin this way. I used to laugh at my sin. I used to accept my sin. But now, no, no, I'm changing my mind about it and saying it's wrong. And I'm going to change my mind, which now is going to result in a changed life. And I'm going to change my actions. That is following up our repentance with action. It was said this way. The first part of repentance is to understand what sin is and how God views sin. The sin of my life. Understand that we're all sinners and that sin leads to death. It's an understanding. Then the next thing is an acceptance or an agreeing with God. The sin's ugly. It grieves God's heart. And it should grieve my heart. And it should grieve your heart. And the third thing is a personal commitment. A personal commitment to turn from our sin, to renounce it, and lead a life in obedience to Christ. We sang this morning, I decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. When that repentance says, I'm going to change, I'm going to change, but I'm, going to, I'm not going to turn back. I'm going to change, and I'm going to keep on living in that. In fact, probably the guy we think of when we think of repentance might be John the Baptist. He's the first one, you know, after the prophets and followed up the prophets, we see him coming out of the wilderness and he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And, and we see that and we hear that message and he's, he's doing it to sinners. He says, repent, repent. But in Matthew 3, he follows that repentance, that call for repentance with these words. Produce fruit in keeping with Repentance. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. When we turn to God and we repent, we change our mind about the way we're living. Say, it's wrong. God, I realize you've called me to something better than this. You've called me to reject my lifestyle that I've been living in and live a new way. That's what John calls us to do in these passages. But then he says, produce in keeping with your repentance. I know you always like to go back and check out what the preacher says to make sure it's right. This week when you're reading chapter, Matthew chapter 3, go read it. Because you see in there, it's not just John the Baptist, but there are three other groups that are there. And they're hearing this. They're hearing that they need to repent. But then they're hearing that they need to produce fruit. The first group is the crowd. And the crowd responds with a question. What do we need to do? If we're going to repent, I repent, I change my mind, but now what do I need to do? And John the Baptist answers, if you have two shirts and someone doesn't have one, give them your shirt and do the same with your food. Do that. You need to, your fruit needs to be an evidence of your repentance. Do it. Second group that were there were tax collectors. 
Tax collectors say the same question. What should we do? <laughs> and, and, and John the Baptist says, don't collect any more than is required. What he's saying is, quit cheating, quit stealing, change your life. May your, your fruit be in keeping with your repentance. Quit cheating, quit stealing, quit lying, all those other things we might add on to that. Quit it. Produce fruit. The next group were the soldiers. The soldiers were there. They says, what do we need to do? <laughs> John looks at him, and he says, don't extort money, and don't falsely accuse people. What he's saying is, don't abuse your power. I know you got power that you can wield over people. Don't abuse it. Lift people up. Don't destroy them. Then interestingly, he adds this, be content with your pay. <laughs> Not so much against other people, but your heart. Be content with what you have. You don't need more. Trust the Lord. Repentance demands a new way of thinking, which then produces a new way of living. Let your fruit, the way you interact with people, the way you interact with your boss and, and, your, and your family and your church family and those who need Christ, be in a way that they look at him and say, whoa, he must have repented of something. <laughs> she must have repented. She, she has a new relationship. She has a new way of thinking. She's living her fruit of the repentance. He's living his fruit of his repentance. Jesus preached this right after Matthew chapter 3 is Matthew chapter 4. Jesus was tempted in the wilderness and it says he left there and he started to preach the message that the word repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Peter preaches it. Paul preaches it. Prophets preached it. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. But then he has one more thing, and we'll add this quickly. Verse 20, 21, the last thing is this. And have faith. And have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not an and or. It's not an or. It's an and. Repent and have faith. That's salvation. That's what Paul was calling them to. He said, you got to repent, but when we, as we're following our new way of life, we also have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's been said that faith and repentance are the two flip sides of the same coin. Because really, to have faith in Christ to, is nothing more than changing our mind about how we think about him. Before he was a good teacher. Before he was a good man. Before he was, but now he is Lord. Now he is my savior. I've changed my way of thinking about him. Faith is a noun. It is a, it is a conviction of what is true. We believe, we have a conviction about God. We have faith in God. We believe he's who he says he is. We believe he exists. We believe he's the creator. We believe he's the ruler over all things. And we believe he's provided a way through Jesus Christ for salvation. That's faith. We have faith in Jesus Christ. We believe who he says he is. We believe he's the Messiah. And we believe through him and him only we have salvation. That's faith. Paul wrote to the Ephesians in chapter 3, 
many years later, Ephesians chapter 3, he writes this, in him, Jesus Christ our Lord, and through him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Through in him and through faith in him. Faith, that assurance, conviction that it's true, that Jesus is true and he is who he says he is. Faith is that noun. The verb being of that, as we say today, I like to say, or to the verb that closely relates to faith is trust. When you have faith, you can trust. You, ex- you exercise your faith by trusting God. You evidence your faith by trusting God. Trusting that we can go into his presence. We can approach him with freedom and with confidence. And that was Paul's message. Paul's message was that we repent and that we have faith in Christ. But he just, that repentance is maybe more than we thought about in the past. It isn't just to say, I'm sorry for your sins, accept all the goodies that Jesus has for us. That's called cheap grace. It's, it's living our repentance. It's living out day by day, moment by moment. Paul loved these people. He cared for them. And he wanted the best for them. And he wanted salvation. In fact, he, he says this, and we'll close with this, Acts 20, 28. He says, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God which he bought with his blood. Keep watch over yourselves. If I had a mirror, I'd be preaching to myself here. <laughs> I should have brought a mirror and held it up. Keep watch of, of your, over yourselves. Elders, overseers, Sunday school teachers, parents, people in responsible places, Keep watch over yourselves. This uh, past summer, a couple weeks ago, actually, the Evangelical Friends Church Eastern Region, which we're part of, it's, it's hard to call us a denomination. We're about 100 churches that we come together for, for accountability, for missions, and, and other work like that. We, we had our annual conference down in Canton. A lot of things have changed administratively over the past year or two, and, and we have a, made, generated this new position called executive director. And uh, we were able to uh, approve and hear from our new executive director, uh, Dr. Tom Crawford. Uh, Tom got a chance to speak with the group Sunday night, and he was talking and sharing his mission in life. And he says, you know, I have three goals in life. I've had three goals, and they're my three goals. The first one is, to get to heaven. It's a pretty good first goal, right? Take care of yourself. Take care of yourself. Make sure, is there anything you need to repent of? Is there anything you need to take care of with the Lord? Take care of yourself. Make sure you're you're, you're not turning back. Take care of yourself. First goal, get to heaven. Second goal, take as many people with me as possible. Take care of the flock. Take care of the flock. Elders, overseers, teachers, parents. Who's your flock? Take care of them. Take care of them. That's what Paul is saying. Take care of the flock. Tom's third mission goal in life, I really don't find in Paul's 
speech here, but I think it's worth saying. And it's this, have fun along the way. (laughs) Have fun along the way. Enjoy the ride. I think we look through the scriptures and we see David saying, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Being a Christian's fun. Taking people along with us is fun. I enjoy being around fun Christians. People see too many frowny-faced Christians, stuck-in-the-mud Christians. Have fun as we do it. But don't forget, take care of yourself. Take care of others. Bring others along. Repent and have faith. That's the call we have this morning. You, let's stand together. I don't, I don't even pretend to know what might be in your life that you need, might need to repent of. Um, I can tell you I know in my life. And um, it's been a week of introspection. As I've really thought, Lord, am I in every way seeking you and following you and turning toward you? Or are there are parts uh, that I really don't want the whole counsel of God. I'd like about nine-tenths of the counsel <laughs> and keep one-tenth for myself. That's not, it's not what he says. The whole counsel. Repent. Follow me with all your heart, all your strength, all your mind, all your soul. Just jump in and have a blast. So as we pray and all our heads bowed and eyes closed, just maybe take a moment to inspect yourself. Is there something in your life? Is there something in your life You need to say, Lord, I need to have a change of mind. Right now, you can do that right here, right in your seat. I need to change my mind. That's wrong. It's pulling me away from you rather than toward you. I want to repent. And you can do that right now. And then go out this week and live it. Produce fruit. Consistent with your faith. You're consistent with your profession of faith. And I'm, I'm working to do the same. And I'm praying that same prayer. Lord, help us this morning. Help us when we've been weak, where we've, Lord, maybe we've, we've treated our sin, laughing it off, not, not understanding how serious it is. Lord, help us where we've gone our own way instead of following you. Help us, Lord, where maybe we've just been stiff-necked people. hard-hearted. Soften those hearts. Lord, we've got the plank in our eye, and Lord, we need you to take it out. Help us see our need for you. Help us to see where we strayed. Help us to know, Lord, where we can rely on you in more powerful, greater ways so we can go out this week and be a difference in the world. Lord, I pray for each one of us. Lord, if there's those here that don't know where they're going this morning, they haven't made that repentance, Lord, I pray that this morning would be a day of salvation. Lord, for those of us who have claimed you as Lord and Savior, Lord, help us to live and produce fruit according to our repentance. Go with us this week, Lord. Help us to shine to the world around us. Help us to watch ourselves and bring as many along as we can. And we'll give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, when um, Paul was uh, there with the Ephesian elders, it closes, 
says they, they knelt, they prayed together, they kissed, and there were many tears because they said he would never see him again. I've got to imagine that grieved Paul's heart. But he left knowing, knowing that he was innocent of their blood because he'd given them the full counsel. This morning you've heard, oh, oh, there's more of the Bible, but this is what it's all about. You've heard it. Go and live it. And if you're not ready to do that and you want to come pray with me and Eric or up here, we're glad to meet with you. But go this week and serve him and live your life according to your profession. Go in the power and grace and mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. You're dismissed.